Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition, from last year's runaway champions to middling mid-tablers this year, is this the same Napoli? And how do they fall from glory so quickly into the crisis that they find themselves in now? Also, what do they want and when do they want it? Will Bayern Munich get what they want in this transfer window or will it be a case of you can't always get what you want this January? And there is no transfer talk without a mention of the will he or won't he at the end of the season. Everybody wants to know where the world's greatest footballer probably ends up eventually. Only Mbappe knows for sure. But we've got a good guess and we'll tell you why. Crisis at Napoli, from Serie A champions to where they are now. How, how do we even begin to explain this, Nikki? Yeah, I, I, I guess I think we've talked about this a little bit on the show before, and I'm, I'm always slightly wary of, of repeating myself too much. But the, the big answer is, um, I would say, poor leadership from the owner, Aurelia De Laurentiis. And you saw the cracks start to appear even before they'd won the title. That's the extraordinary thing about Napoli winning the title. They didn't do it for 33 years. And then when they did it, they did it so confidently. They did it so dominantly that the title was effectively sewn up weeks before the end of the season. And it was a question of of when rather than if. And I think in that period, you already saw things start to to go awry, sort of some of them on the pitch. Kvitsch uh, Kvitskaya stopped scoring goals, but the more profound ones at, at a, uh, I was going to say a boardroom level, but I suppose at a, at a coaching level, really, because it's uh, the manager, Luciano Spalletti, the, or- the uh, conductor, the orchestrator of this this great uh, project, refuses to accept. Essentially, Napoli had an option to extend his contract by one year, which they triggered, and it, Spalletti said, well, I'm not happy about this. I've just led you to a league title. I deserve to be given a whole new contract that reflects what I've achieved. And that unhappiness led to, by the end of the season, such a breakdown in relationship between Luciano Spalletti, the manager, and Ilarelli de Laurentiis, the owner, that even though the extension had officially been triggered, they both sort of said, look, are we happy to just walk away from this and call it the end of this story? And they agreed that they would. And Spalletti, who has always had this other side to him that's happy to be going and working on his his farm went and worked on his farm for a bit um, but, but that was about the manner as well wasn't it it was about the way that he just got a letter through the post saying yeah. your contract has been extended exactly the it wasn't negotiation it wasn't talked about it was just we're just going to do this unilaterally and i think spalletti felt we're doing you a favor yeah and and i think that was rather than it being the whole um the whole symptom 
I'm just going to mix my metaphors horribly because I've got a completely different metaphor I was about to go for. I think that was that was to some degree the canary in the coal mine because it wasn't just that you were treating your manager like that. It was that you were treating your whole club like that. And the sporting director, Cristiano Giuntoli, also leaves in the summer because his work hasn't been taken seriously. And you've seen that repeatedly in, in comments from De Laurentiis since talking about, oh, well, Giuntoli doesn't deserve all this credit for signing Kvitsch Kvitskelia. That was all me. You know, that was all these things he's been talking about publicly, always trying to reduce the amount of credit that he gives to his employees. And I think now you're seeing the next step in that in the last few weeks, which is, players clearly feel the same way as well. And there was quite a lot of noise um, recently about Victor Osman signing a new contract, which um, has been brought back up in the last few days by the agent of Kvitsch of Kratzkelia, because Kratzkelia has not had a new contract. He was actually awarded as player of the season in, in Serie A last season. And his agent has come out and said, well, Osman only got this new contract, everybody knows, because it's... Uh, a setup to make sure that the club gets the fee they want for him when he when he's sold to Saudi Arabia in the summer. Everyone knows he's going to Saudi Arabia. Meanwhile, none of the rest of us have had our new contracts. And actually, that story has had a lot of attention because Osman fired back, called the agent a dumbass. Um, that's his word. I'm not. I'm not uh, saying that. Actually, myself. that was a polite way of what he said, wasn't it? He said some other things, yeah. but he did use the word. Um, Dumbass to say it correctly rather yeah. than dumbass. Um, but uh, um, but in the meantime, actually, even before that, you had um, the agent for Politano and uh, Di Lorenzo, two of the Italian members of the team who were well established there. Actually, a few days before all that happened, had been in the press saying, Where are our new contracts? Why is the league title not being sort of acknowledged? The fact that everything that's been achieved here and his client Politano has an offer on the table from Saudi to go next summer um, and he was sort of saying pretty publicly look if, if we don't get better terms we're going to have to think pretty seriously about this um, so I think that feeling that ownership has not rewarded the league title has not acknowledged the, how extraordinary it was has been presumptuous I think that's at the core of everything that's going wrong in Naples is that breakdown between ownership and everyone, basically. So if this is a game of coaching past the parcel, has Matsari just had the parcel in his hand when the music stops at the wrong time? Is 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 that what's happened? Because Matsari's been in charge for nine games. They've lost six of them. Now, obviously, it seemed a weird appointment when he arrived in the first place, presumably as a sort of stopgap until they get... Antonio Conte or Igor Tudor or whoever they might hope for for for, for next season. Um, but I guess there's two things. Firstly, there's still stuff to do this season. Uh, the top four is not impossible, but they're letting it slip through their their, their fingers as as stands at the moment. It's a very competitive race mm -hmm. for the the top four. But bringing back Matsadi when he's not been at the club and not really done much since he's left the club a the first time a decade ago. Is this the latest De Laurentiis misstep or is he just unfortunate to be the man in possession while all this other stuff is going on? Well, so obviously De Laurentiis had hired Rudy Garcia to replace Spalletti, which... Talking of missteps. Everyone said at the time, yeah. that's an interesting appointment. He hasn't, similar to Manzali, he hasn't mm. really been on top of his game. It hasn't felt like for a long time. Of course, he has coached Italy before, was part of the case made at the time and he did lead Roma to second place a couple of seasons in a row and, and they were competitive in that time. They, he did do an okay job at, at Roma, I would say, 
at a time when the squad was very strong. Um, but um, that appointment, De Laurentiis has almost tried to wash his hands of by saying, ironically, given everything I just said, um, he sort of he said after firing Garcia, I should have got rid of him on day one because he came in here and he didn't acknowledge the the. That what he was inheriting didn't talk about the work that had been done before him, uh, and and I should have I should have recognised that and said you're not the right person and got rid of him there and then. So interesting that De Laurentiis, who has upset his own staff by himself not perhaps giving enough reward to the people who achieve these things, used that as the uh, his reason for why Garcia didn't work out. But yes, he he hires Mazzari, who is this in Italy the word they use is traghettatore, a ferryman is you know, someone who's going to take you safely to the other side and then thank you very much and we'll be on our way. Uh, so the idea was he would steer them to the end of the season and instead the boat is taking on so much water that it's almost hard to see how it's recoverable this season now. Uh, you talked about being down to ninth in the table. Andy, they haven't scored in four games, yeah. which when you think they scored 77 goals, I think in Serie A last season is almost the most extraordinary part of it. Throw in the fact that your best goal scorer, Victor Osman, is now off to the Africa Cup of Nations. And this is a real profound crisis. They got knocked out of the Coppa Italia by Frosinone, uh, conceding four goals. They got beaten 3-0 by Torino. And that's like the reverse of this conversation about how can Napoli not be scoring goals? Torino never score goals. Torino have scored 18 goals all season, including the three they scored against Napoli. So to lose 3-0 to them is, is extraordinary. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Torino because they're actually a very competitive team, but they're a grind you to a nil-nil draw competitive, not a a, a, a humiliate you like that competitive. Um, it, it's collapsing so fast that even even though the expectations for Matsadi were pretty modest, you're asking the question of can this hold? Can this go to the end of season? Because, okay, they've already got um, enough points that relegation is essentially unthinkable. They'd have to almost lose 19 games in a row to get relegated and, and that's not going to happen. Um, but the Champions League is already running away from them quickly. The, the title isn't even a conversation. Um, and when you've then got your two most important players, Kvarat Skelia and Osimhen, publicly at odds, um, perhaps not themselves speaking, but their agents speaking in, in this, well, one agent speaking and Osman speaking back to that agent in, in such a hostile way. It, it It's reached a level that I think a lot of us couldn't even have imagined it going to, even as we saw things going badly. And yes, I think Madsadi's been unfortunate to some degree because a lot of this is things that, foundations that were terrible before he showed up. I also think he's not of a... He's not authoritative enough at this point in his career to walk into that changing room and say, everyone needs to shut up and listen to me and I can get us at least back on steady footing. It's funny, if the timelines were different, you could imagine Reno Gattuso thinking, oh, yes. conflict, <laughs> open warfare. Yeah. Well, I fancy this. That's, <laughs> that's it. I, I, and I don't, know, I don't know if anyone could. I really don't. And this sort of story bubbled up again because he was just at the Torino Napoli game, which is a bit of a red herring because Conte has gone to other games, but Antonio Conte was at the Torino Napoli game. And so people look at Antonio Conte and go, is that who Napoli could turn to? And it makes sense on paper because um, Italian clubs can't hire from other Italian, well, Serie A clubs can't hire from other Serie A clubs during the season. 
uh, you can't coach more than one Serie A team in the same season. So Conte is about as high level a manager as you could think of right now who's available. But he wouldn't want it now, would he? Surely. I don't think he'd want it now. No. I don't think it would be a particularly positive mix between him and and De Laurentiis. But I do wonder if that is the one profile of manager who might be able to walk into the changing room and say to all these players who are now not cooperating, not uh, not doing all the things they did last season, everyone be quiet and listen to me because I actually know how to get us back on track. It almost needs that big of an ego for mm. anyone to listen to him. Whether it would work, I don't know. Whether he would take it, I'm sceptical. But I think that's the only sort of... Um, the only scenario in which you can almost even imagine that Matt, replacing Matt Zaddy would do anything at all. That 3-0 defeat to Torino should have been something of a fairy tale for a new signing. Um, I've read your piece in The Guardian about mm-hmm. it. It turned out to be a nightmare for Pasquale Matsoki, who is a hometown boy, as it were, and got his big chance to uh, play for his home team in Serie A, and it went... All right, to say the least. Yeah, it's it's such a sort of um, uh, a crazy story, really, because Matsuki, he grew up in a, a suburb of Naples, had five siblings, and sort of really one of those tough upbringings. And then when he got his chance to go and play football at eleven years old, Benevento, it was an hour's drive away, and and he did it, and was seeing his parents once a month, and goes on to succeed, have a career in professional football, but that career takes him far away he you know again 11 years old he's already living away from home and he doesn't come back he goes up to the north of of italy he plays for six different clubs finally he comes back uh, a couple of years ago to salernitana who is not quite back home but it's half an hour's drive away from naples so it's 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 just down the coast and funnily enough as fate would have it he ends up being captain of the salernitana team that drew with Napoli last season to stop them from winning the league at home. Now, of course, they won the league anyway. That was always on the cards, but it meant they didn't get to have that celebration at home. So he actually became something of a villain to Napoli fans at that time and, and had Napoli fans on his socials saying, oh, you're not, you can't be a true Neapolitan. A true Neapolitan would have refused to play. So he's gone through all of this as a, as a kid who grew up there. And finally, this January, Napoli, and you have to wonder, of course, if um, because football decisions I do think get influenced sometimes in this really um, incidental way if his performance that day was remembered by people at Napoli and they said okay so they signed him this this uh, this January and they needed some extra depth at, at the wing back positions which he can offer and uh, he comes on at half time against Tony and offer his debut they're already one nil down and within five minutes he gets sent off for I mean, it's a terrible challenge. Uh, studs into because it was upgraded by the referee from a yellow card to a red card. Yeah, so yellow at first, then then VAR um, took a look, and it, it is a red card. It's it's a very dangerous challenge with studs up. Um, so quite a sort of um, story for Madsoki personally, as you say, should have been his happy moment coming all that full circle back to play for his hometown club. Instead, gets sent off within five minutes. But, but of course, Napoli would have known what they were getting uh, with Matsoki because uh, I think you used the word tenacious in your article. He's a hard man. That's yeah. What want, oh, yeah. He's, and I think exactly the profile of player they're, they're looking at. Look, Napoli, he was sort of sold as um, the first of many signings this, this January. I should say, in all of that long dialogue I had about Napoli, um, about the structure of the club and things going wrong, one thing I didn't mention, which is also really important is they did sell their best defender Kim Min Jae to Bayern Munich and that was 
unavoidable. He had a release clause, but without question, that has hurt them as well. Mm. Their defence is less solid than it used to be. Um, but but is is it that he went or that they didn't replace him? Well, that's exactly R- the really. Point. Yeah, they, they they sold one of the best events in Serie A last season. He was really excellent last season, um, and they haven't replaced him. And so that is also on the list of how this could be solved. They're trying to sign replacements. They actually were in for Radu Dragashin, who of course chose to sign for Tottenham instead. I, I guess the thing we have to say with Matt Socky, though, to finish is the, the fact that Leo Messi was sent off two minutes into his Argentina debut. So maybe it's a good omen. <laughs> what next for Napoli? Uh, well, funnily enough, next for Napoli is Salernitana, um, Matsuki's former club. Um, but uh, what next in terms of rescuing the season? Uh, January is an interesting time. We'll see who they can and can't sign. At the moment, it feels like they're being beaten to the punch on a lot of players they wanted. Uh, Lazar Samadzic is another player they've been after. And um, with sort of, uh, I don't know if it feels almost deliberate timing, uh, stories have popped up immediately saying that Juventus, where Cristiano Giuntoli, the sporting director who uh, was chased at a time by De Laurentiis, might also be trying to steal Samadzic from under their noses. So it would not be a, it would not be an auspicious start to the transfer window if they go after Dragasin, don't get him. Go after Samadzic, don't get him. Um, but in theory, what next for them is try to fix this with some January transfers. Uh, for now, they've insisted Matsadi's not being replaced. Um, but what next in the next few weeks and months if Champions League football really starts to run away, I couldn't say. Meanwhile, in the Bundesliga, Bayern must be so used to getting what they want, not least in a January transfer window, but perhaps not this time, Andy. Well, I guess what they really want in a January transfer window, or what any club of that stature normally wants in a January transfer window, Don, is a bit of peace and quiet. You know, you expect to have done your job so well in the summer transfer window, and you expect everything to have gone so well in the first half of the season, that you would think... While all these these peasants are scrabbling about for scraps, we've just got the squad we want already. And that is patently not the case for Bayern. Now, there are two angles to this. Firstly, they're still recovering from um, the Salihamidzic Khan reign, which went really awry and they got rid of those both at the end of last season. Um, brought in the cavalry in the shape of uh, Uli Hernes and... Um, Karl-Heinz Rummeniger to sort of pave the way to a, a, a new era. Now, they, they, they have got um, a, a new sporting director in Christoph Freund, but they're, they're looking at getting someone else in there as well. They continue to be linked with uh, Max Erbel, who um, left Leipzig um, earlier in the season because Leipzig felt he was fishing elsewhere for jobs. You know, join the dots there is pretty easy. Um, he did a great job at Borussia Mönchengladbach before, and Bayern were interested in him from 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 going back to that time. So if something happened there, it wouldn't be a massive surprise. Not to make the difference on this transfer window, but then you look at and we've talked about it again and again on here. The fact that Harry Kane, as well as being amazing in this first part of the the season, is papered over a lot of cracks, a lot of cracks not just by his goals and performances, but making the players around him better. But they've, they're have they still not top of the league, partly due to how brilliant Bayer Leverkusen have been, of course. Now, talking of strikers, whether that can hold. Now, Victor Boniface has been wiped out, not only of the can, but until the start of April with that serious muscle injury, that could have a massive influence on the title race. But in terms of Bayern 
going where they want to go. It's not just about winning the title, is it? It's about winning the title and the Champions League. Of course, they're knocked out of the DFB Pokal. They can't do the treble. But they're, they're, they're squarely looking at the, the, the Champions League. And they're not going to win it with the team they've got at the moment. They're not going to win it, not just because they haven't got that defensive midfielder. Of course, we know they went for Joao Polina and didn't quite get there. Got him in the kit, but didn't get the ink on the contract. Um, but what they've done in the transfer window so far, or what they've tried to do in the transfer window so far, has really underlined that they feel they've got holes elsewhere. So um, that defensive midfielder, whether it's going to get done or not, they're getting in Eric Dyer. He's a- arrived in Munich as we're on air at the moment. He's, he's going to sign that that contract imminently. Um, I think it's a great signing for them. It's been in the, 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 the pipeline for a while. I think the fact that he can play centre-back and that defensive midfielder is super important for them. And I know people will look at what he's done or not done for Tottenham in the last little while. It's, it's just he's not a suitable player for Tottenham anymore. Bayern play differently. And the fact is he will be able, A, to be covered by the greater pace of Dio Pumacano if he's he's playing a, a, a centre-back and um, B if he's playing in that defensive midfield role they want him to be deep and they want him to just feed the players in front of them that you know they want a, a sitter sitter they they would have liked I think they would have liked Manuel Ugarte if um, they, they didn't get Joao Palinha of course we knew they were in for Declan Rice etc. But I think the fact that Dyer can do a couple of different roles and he's cheap because they spent a lot of money on Harry Kane, let's not forget that, is really important. But if you look at, well, you talked about Dragushin before, Nicky. They went in for him. They went in for him quite late, which mm-hmm. is why he didn't go there, which again makes me think, well, A, they've got a problem and they're fishing in the same pool because they're looking for the same sort of cover in the same sort of positions as equivalent clubs like, like Paris Saint-Germain, for example. They've got a lot of similar targets and they're working out. There have been a lot of talks between Bayern and PSG to work out how they might mutually sort of horse trade. Um, but the fact that they went in so late for Dragosin, it, it doesn't suggest organisation and a strategy, does it? No, I, I think... Um sort of interesting what they're doing in general this Eric Dyer signing who sounds like it's quite likely to be on the cards with Dragosin not coming feels like perhaps quite a useful fit given what you just said about the defence midfield situation obviously they've been trying this situation with Goretzka and, and Kimmich and it hasn't always quite worked and and I feel like with Dyer you've got the option to put him there but in the first instance you think he's going to plug that gap at centre-back especially with Kim Min-Jay off to uh, off for, Asian from playing the Asian Cup yeah. so they, they have got needs that as you say feel like they're about to become more um more prominent um Dragushin, i think would have been a really nice signing i i i, I do rate Dragushin. i think i i like him not necessarily because he's a finished article and i think that's worth saying as well you wouldn't necessarily have got someone who's going to step in and, and play to the level that, that that kim has um but i i think he's this really um He's a really one of those really interesting stories of of someone who you can see the growth in. Um, mm. You know, when he went to Genoa uh, a, a couple of years ago, they'd just gone down to Serie B and he'd been at Juventus, been in the Next Gen project and he'd gone on loan to Nitana and Sampdoria and Serie A. Because he was really rated as a kid, wasn't he? Yeah, and yeah. He, w- he wasn't sure about going to Genoa and um, 
as the story goes, Giorgio Chiellini basically said to him, "Don't worry about it. You know, you're 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 a really good player. You're going to succeed wherever you go. Just go and play concentrate on your football." And Chiellini has been this sort of mentor to him because they worked together at Juventus, and uh, and and so it's proved. It, the first season there, he was playing on a Genoa team who were really too good for Serie B, and he was playing as this sort of very bring the ball out from defence kind of defender because they had so much possession. I think he actually had something wild, like the third most passes in all of Serie B last season. I'm not sure if it was third, but it's certainly in the top five. Um, and uh, and then this season you see uh, a new version required because Genoa aren't dominant in Serie A. They have to play without the ball. And and he's shown that he can be, first of all, absolutely dominant in the air, which he really is impressive in the air. But also because he plays in his back three and switches out from the middle to the right of the back three in different games. Um, really sort of aggressive, doesn't dive into tackles aggressive, but gets on top of, um, when he's out of those wider positions, gets on top of wingers early before they can get, before they can get the chance to run at him. And, and there's been a lot of talk about, oh, when you look at the numbers, only one opponent's dribbled past him all season, which is true. But the reason is because he barely lets anyone have a chance to dribble at him because he's always on them. And he's, It sounds exactly what Ange Postacolu wants. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a real sort of in your face. And I think he talks about that. You know, he, he says he's taken that from Chiellini. He talked about, working with Bonucci, with Delict, with Chiellini and, and all these different things he saw in all of them. But Chiellini's the one he called his idol. And I think he's he's got that sort of, um, that Chiellini aggression in him, which isn't a, I'm always going to leave my feet and jump into things. I know Chiellini gets celebrated for those moments, mm. but it's a it's a sort of willingness to, to take the first step and and be aggressive on someone's touch. I, I do think he's a really... Um, He's th- a really interesting player. I, I think that the, what you could have here's what you could have won part is is, yeah. is, is, a, is a huge part, especially when I, I guess to, to me, Dragashin has clearly been scouted by Spurs to Bayern. It felt like they were trying. It felt like to me that they were trying to take an opportunity. Like you've got someone out there who genuinely need the money. Mm-hmm. There's enormous upside to him. He's not massively expensive, and there's not a lot of great central defenders out there because what they've been doing before then whether it's dire whether you go back to autumn where the only reason they abandoned re-signing Jerome Boateng is because of the protests from from fans about the off-field stuff in, involving Boateng they tried to sign Socrates before mm-hmm. a, a very aging Socrates before he decided to go to to Betis instead and they're not the only defensive holes they've got well, we've talked about Bayern's defensive problems before, defensive midfield problems, mm. uh, obviously. What is the point to all of those attempts at signing players that you've mentioned? What is the point? Is it for the Champions League? Because it seems to me that there are two Bayerns. There's the Bayern in the Champions League and then mm. there's a Bayern in the Bundesliga that has won the Bundesliga over and over and over again. But interesting enough, in the last three seasons, they haven't won anything other than the Bundesliga, even... Domestically, yeah, I think that's a massive deal, Dotton. Absolutely massive deal, and you've got to feel at least competitive in the Champions League. I think, and of course, they, they shouldn't have won the Bundesliga last season. I think you look at this season. If Leverkusen played as if they, if they as they played in the first half of the season, you could easily see them winning the Bundesliga because Bayern haven't done a lot wrong results wise. There are holes to pick tactically and shape wise, and in terms of the performances. But, you know, the results are, are good. You know, there's there's no real argument with that. Whether Leverkusen can maintain that, A, over a whole season, B, whether they're missing players, when they're missing players at, 
at Cannes and of course the, the, the fact that um, Boniface is going to be out for a, a lot of the rest of the season that puts a lot of pressure on Patrick Schick who has looked good really good actually since he's, he's, he's come back from injury expecting him to carry them through the rest of the season is asking a lot I, I think so maybe that, that, that changes their plans but but yeah you're right it's about what they are able to do in the Champions League and I think even you look at the group where they won it quite easily. Um, they took six points off Galatasaray and, and they were lucky to. Um, they conceded three goals against the not very good Manchester United at home. They were given a right going over by FC Copenhagen in, in Denmark in, in that away leg. And like I said, it's not just the defensive midfielder position. It's not just the centre-backs. It's the full-backs as well. I think, look, Alfonso Davies is not what he was going back to when they last won it in, in, in 2020. And, you know, they're deciding on whether they're going to pay him as much as he wants to keep him, which is fueling the talk of him going to Real Madrid, the story that really won't go away. And then you've got on the other side, Nusea Masraoui, who a lot of people believe is not really good enough to to, to play at, be, be the starting right back for Bayern. And I wouldn't massively disagree with that. So their other top target, this transfer window, has been Nordi Mukiele, who Tuchel likes, who Bayern like, who they've seen perform very consistently in the Bundesliga, but has not really found a slot at PSG. But he can play right back, centre back, left back, in a three. And he's a really great athlete. So you've got all of those things. I guess the question is, because... PSG are trying to use it as a way to leverage, can we get Yoshua Kimmich? Nothing doing at the moment, but, you know, they want him. They'd be daft not to try. It seems that Kimmich would prefer actually now to go to PSG than Barcelona. Barcelona, the other big club who are interested in him. And definitely, if you're buying, you'd prefer to sell him to PSG than Barcelona because you might actually get some money for it as well, which would be a plus rather than how about a long-term loan where we pay you sometime in 2029? Is, is, is that okay with us? What, maybe five years after he's retired? But I think if you're PSG, you're looking at Bayern's needs. And as I said, looking at their level and thinking, do we really want to strengthen them? Because they're at a sort of almost equivalent point in the Champions League. But Bayern, I think you could say are a, a little bit ahead because PSG have undergone more of a profound reconstruction and are still... But if, unless I was getting something back, I wouldn't give, be giving them Mukiele and solving one of their problems for them. Why would you, why would you do that? A, a team that is trying to win the Champions League but is not one of the absolute favourites for it. No, I wouldn't be strengthening them. And by the way, history will record that Bayern did win the Bundesliga last season. They have History doesn't have time for the caveat. <laughs> no, it doesn't. They shouldn't have. It doesn't. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We've already mentioned PSG, and well, it's a transfer window, so we've got to bring them into this conversation again. Isn't it every single transfer window <laughs> we have to mention? Uh, Kylian Mbappe, it depends on Kylian Mbappe. Um, obviously, he's not going anywhere this transfer season. We, uh, Sorry, this transfer window, we know that. But people are already looking ahead at the summer transfer, and we still don't know what's going to happen to this probably the world's best player. We don't know where he's going to end up, whether he's going to stay at PSG as the directors of PSG are planning on him doing or whether he's going off to Real Madrid or anywhere else. Yeah, you say he's not going anywhere this transfer window and I think you're right. But I think it's worth saying that even this transfer window, there has been offers from Saudi to try and make it happen because they know that PSG would rather not let him just walk out the door without getting a transfer fee for him. Um, but it seems pretty clear that he's not interested in, in, in making that move to Saudi and that leaves open this interesting question of where he does want to go. And I think it seems, I think it's reached a really sort of intriguing point this whole situation for Mbappe because I I don't get the impression that his sort of core preference to go to Real Madrid has changed. I think he's wanted to go to Real Madrid. He still wants to go to Real Madrid. Um, he did, of course, turn down Real Madrid to sign that contract extension in the past. But I, I think the sort of idea in his head that eventually that would be the move he made has always been there. But it also feels like, oddly, where you would expect the closer you got to the end of this contract the desire to sign him to increase, everyone's urgency to increase, it feels like the opposite is happening. That actually now, finally, he's available for anybody. That the clamour has not gone. He's still one of the best players in the world, but has, has diminished a bit. It feels like PSG are no longer willing to bend over as far backwards as they would have been to keep him. And Real Madrid, perhaps partly because of having to renovate their own stadium as well and and the cost they've got associated with that, not wanting to break their uh, their um their financial structure, being able to, to to turn profits, are also just being a bit more cautious. Now, I'm not certain how far that will extend. I think that Florentino Perez wants this one 
in his name. He wants to be able to, at the end of this, say, I got Mbappe. But it, it feels as though maybe the various stories of, I don't know, just being a slightly different, difficult character have, have had a little bit of an impact. And perhaps it feels like, um, perhaps it's it's not even that, perhaps it's just sort of politicking and, uh, and Madrid not wanting to overpay. But it feels like the market has cooled a tiny bit for Mbappe. It feels like uh, Nicky is being extremely polite because there's another reason that you have... Uh well, you believe that Real Madrid are somewhat reluctant to throw their hat into the ring so blatantly. They don't want to look stupid. Again. I, I, I think, yeah, again. again. Because Florentino Perez and Real Madrid are not used to that. Mm. And obviously, when he didn't sign the first time, they thought they had him in the bag. So if we go back to last Sunday, this story broke in France that he's agreed to join Real Madrid this season. Now, of course, on Monday, the Mbappe camp um, come out and deny this. Nasser Al-Khalafi, the president of PSG, gives this long interview to L'Equipe, says, I'm very confident of keeping him, etc., etc., etc. And it, it, all feels, it all feels quite choreographed. Obviously, the fact that even, even if he had agreed to, to go to Real Madrid, well, they thought he'd agreed before, yeah. going back nearly two years ago, going going back a year and a half or so ago. So until he's actually there in the shirt, and I don't mean 12-year-old Kylian Mbappe in his bedroom, I mean 25-year-old Kylian Mbappe now, shaking hands with Perez, overlooking the pitch of the Bernabeu, it's, it's, it's not happened. And I do think it is down to just these two. Now, of course, there's been talk about, well, Premier League clubs could could sweep in. But if you look at Arsenal, Liverpool, think the feeling is even with the riches of the Premier League they've not quite got the money to to make it happen I think the the little bits coming from his camp about oh yeah he's really interested in these Premier League clubs it's, it's a bit like it feels like LeBron James saying oh, I'd love to play at Madison Square Garden every week yeah. I mean I'm not going to sign for the Knicks <laughs> I'm never going to sign for the Knicks but it's, it's a lovely idea the sort of idea that I have when I'm channel flicking with my feet up in my front room. And I think actually LeBron James is quite a good comparison because that is why there's so much talk about it at the moment. Like LeBron, every time Mbappe comes out and says something, he understands the weight of every word. Mm. He doesn't make idle chit-chat with journalists. Now, when he came out after they'd won the Trophée des Champions last week against Toulouse, which is a whole different story, when he became the highest scoring player ever at the Parc des Princes, when he came out into the mix zone where the players come and chat if they want to with journalists afterwards, Mbappe doesn't often stop there. So when he comes out and talks, it's like, right, okay, he's got something to say. And this is really what starts this story from last weekend about he's made a decision because it feels that even though he's come out there and said, well, you know what, I, I, I don't have to make a decision till May. I haven't made a decision yet and I don't have to yet. There's still this feeling that a decision is imminent because he's come out and spoken. Now, the way it's being perceived in Spain is really interesting because the first time it was all shirts off, flag waving, he's coming to us because we're the greatest club in the world. Ha! Have that, France. Have that, Paris. Whereas this time, it's like, God, that, this little squirt made us look a mug. Like a lot of the Madrid press and the Madrid sympathetic press, let's be honest, feel like that. So you have guys like sort of uh, trumpet blowers like uh, Josep Pedro who does El Chiringuito saying, well, 
maybe he shouldn't come. Maybe he shouldn't come. Maybe we should not want him, which is ludicrous, mm-hmm. for, for the crime of deciding to stay at, at, at the club where he already was, his hometown club. There's, there's this sense of, right, well, maybe he should be punished for that. Maybe we should give him less of a signing on fee. Maybe we should pay him less. This is all ridiculous. One, because he was perfect, perfectly within his rights to do that. Two, because money's not going to affect his decision. If he goes to Real Madrid, he will get paid less than he gets paid at PSG. Mm. And that's why they feel confident, because in QSI's mind, money decides everything. And because in terms of the stru- squad construction, they have belatedly given Mbappe what he wants by shifting off Neymar and Messi. In fact, they seem so confident that, Nicky, uh, from the PSG president, Nasser Al-Khalafi, it doesn't seem like they've got a plan B. Um, from reading, I definitely don't. Well, he says he has a plan. This is, I'm quoting him literally. He says, I have a plan. I have a plan with Killian, and I'll not enter into the details. I can only say that I'm not stressed on the Mbappe topic. Whereas we are very stressed on it. <laughs> I I don't know what the plan can be for for selling one of the worlds or not selling well, losing like on a free transfer. That. I don't know what the plan can, can be. be. Plan B. I, I I don't know what what plan you can have to replace one of the world's best players. It's pretty much impossible to have a plan for that. Short of you've somehow got up your sleeve, you're going to sign I don't know Erling Haaland from Manchester City. <laughs> um, you're not going to replace his impact in the team. Um, and I do think of all the scenarios that seem plausible to me, and I've been wrong before, but him turning back now, having waived that massive loyalty bonus, which of course was part of their reconciliation, the the, mm. the getting through this season, because let's not forget in the summer there was talk of, we're not going to let you play all season, you're going to waste your entire year going up to the Euros, which was also always a bit fanciful but nevertheless there were sort of conciliations made um I I just can't see Mbappe going back on that and similar to Andy to me it feels like the Premier League clubs are a convenient negotiation point for Mbappe oh look I have this Mm. interest in the Premier League everyone loves the Premier League everyone likes the Premier League money um I think it's just sort of nice for him to have that when he goes and talks Real Madrid because it makes him have some more leverage in terms of getting what he wants for a deal. And I also think you've made a really good point about how things are covered. Spanish media is so specific, football coverage. It's so very much based around not national coverage, but team coverage. It's partisan. Realm. Yeah. yeah. And, and those partisan voices are so often just frankly echoing the noises the club wants them to make. And... This is a negotiation. It's a very public negotiation. Um, but it does say something, I think, about, despite how I think about it, which is that I do expect in the end he ends up at Real Madrid. I think it does indicate some precariousness in that expectation that a deal doesn't get done right away. I think in another world, a different, um, a different context to this whole story the club is so eager to sign best player in the world, available on a free transfer, that they just, whatever you want, will make it happen. And I do think Real Madrid don't feel like that. I think they're confident 
that maybe Mbappe has lost a little bit of leverage and that they can play this game and not put everything he wants on the table right away? I mean, I think when we're looking at their future plans, even if they don't want to think about their future plans, Don, it's, it's fine, fingers in the ears, he's definitely going to stay. The, the fact that he, if he goes, it looks like he'll end up waiving that 80 million euro loyalty bonus. Mm. That has massive FFP implications for them because all that stopped them doing what they want over the years is FFP. And, you know, arguably FFP hasn't quite stopped them doing what they've they've wanted over the years. But, you know, that there are implications when it comes to rebuilding the squad as they're, they're continuing to do. And they're continuing to do it in the way that they think Mbappe would have wanted. You know, you look at, they've signed um, Beraldo, who's made an immediate impact coming over from Brazil. It still looks like they're going to sign Gabriel Moscado, the defensive midfielder. Yes, defensive midfielder um, from Corinthians, even though he's broken his foot, so he can't play for the next three months. And they feel like the sort of Mbappe endorsed signings, you know, the, the sort of quality. It's like the equivalent, I suppose, of Real Madrid going off and signing Endrick. Uh, like they did before with Rodrigo and Vinicius, like securing the future by getting the very best talent from not just from Paris, but but from all over the world. But they do have to think about this because, as Nicky says, I agree with what Nicky says about how do they replace him on the pitch, how do they replace him off the pitch. Mm. That's the difficult thing because the the danger with moving towards the Mbappe model of what he wants. And moving uh, and and staying with what Paris were before. Now we can sit here and sniff and say, "Oh well, they were never going to win the the Champions League with um, a front three of Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe because they don't do they don't do enough off the ball." But what if it's not about that? It's a bit like Juventus and Cristiano Ronaldo. What if it's not about that? What if it's putting your club in a different galaxy in terms of? Facebook impressions, in terms mm-hmm. of global engagement, in terms of marketing. If they replace Mbappe, they can't just replace him with a great player. That won't work. They've taken that decision to move away from Neymar. And Neymar, you can say, oh, well, maybe he didn't do what he, he should have in his career and certainly not in his PSG career, even if the numbers were good. He never won the Champions League. He missed a lot of the big matches, etc., etc. When you walk down the street and you see someone at the bus stop wearing a Jordan PSG trackie or when you're in the supermarket and you see someone pushing around a trolley wearing a a, a PSG hoodie, who made that happen? Mm. It was Neymar. Mm. Neymar made that happen. So to maintain that sort of global profile, just going out and saying, you know what, I've, we, we, we've seen this striker and we really like it, like the look of him. If you, if you buy in the next Gabriel Jesus or, or you know, whatever player you think, Colo Moani is not going to do that for you. Mm. Gonzalo Ramos has scored a hat-trick at the World Cup. He is not going to do that for you. So where do you spend that 80 million? <coughs> Maybe the obvious one is is Victor Ozyman. Maybe mm. he, he is the one who can do that. But even it's, it's arguable, like I, I don't think it's arguable that he would be a good replacement to, for Mbappe on the pitch. Definitely. I think that, that would be a pretty passable... I think you could sell that to the fans. Yeah. In terms of selling it to the world, would Ozymen, for example, be a suitable replacement for Mbappe? I, I don't, think I, that's I, such I, a good question. I, I don't no, think there's I, a hard answer I, on that. I, I think it's such a good question. And I, I think my immediate answer is now I'm a huge Victor Osman fan. I think he's 
such a brilliant player. But my immediate answer is no. First of all, there's something you can't replace, which is Mbappe is your your local kid. He's the one mm. who's who's you can put in the context of playing for Paris Saint-Germain, the greatest French player on, on the greatest French team. You you can't replace that. Um I think Victor Osserman fits into an interesting category because n- not in any world does he have the kind of draw that Mbappe has right now. But of course, nobody starts with the profile. Everyone has to earn the profile. So at yeah. some point you have to to do it. And do I think that he fits into a bracket of if he went there and scored heaps of goals, which I think is very possible, and took Paris Saint-Germain places they hadn't been before, could he become that sort of star? I think it's it's that's plausible to me. I, I guess I guess as well, if I'm in a marketing suite overlooking the pitch at the Parc des Princes mm-hmm. and I, I've I've got my flip chart. I'm writing Africa on it in big letters. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. If, and they're always thinking about the, uh, the and global I think picture. Osman, part of the thing with Osman is Napoli. Despite what a wonderful story they were last season, Napoli globally aren't sexy. Like, yeah, I, I think Naples is an incredible place to visit. It's, mm. it's such a, a wonderful football setting. But in terms of what you just talked about, the the locations and places that build your Instagram set your followings all those it should be frankly because Naples is beautiful but it isn't there are certain clubs that have that cachet and and so Osimhen can't have that until he's been to one of the places where that can happen I, I uh, yeah and I, I guess the the question is you, we can talk about Mbappe not arriving as mm-hmm. that superstar but that was fine because Neymar was there at the time yeah. so because of what Mbappe has become you only need to replace Mbappe, but you need to replace Mbappe, not with Mbappe as he arrived in 2017, but either Mbappe as he is now or Neymar when he arrived. You're looking mm-hmm. for that that Neymar replacement. You see why we can't go through a transfer window without talking about Mbappe. <laughs> <laughs> it's time, both of you, to recommend a game of the week uh, that we can enjoy this weekend. Um, who wants to go first? Andy, you happy? Yeah, go on then. Um, I am going to go for something from La Liga, despite the fact that the uh, Spanish Supercopa is, is, is happening out of the country at, uh, at the moment. Forget about that. The big one is going to be this Saturday, the Basque Derby, Athletic versus Real Sociedad. Athletic absolutely on fire at the moment, in the top four now, taking advantage of uh, Atletico's little slip. Um, in the first game of 2024. And despite the fact that Iñaki Williams has gone off to the African Cup of Nations, of course, with with Ghana, his younger brother, Nico, is there holding the fort. They're brilliant to watch. Um, they're, they're absolutely gobbling points up at, at, at the moment. And it looks like being a real battle between them and Real Sociedad for the top four. Real Sociedad have been really, really impressive. They could do with strikers that score more regularly, for sure. Um, but th- they have got them in in the building. They just need them to get get scoring, uh, specifically Andre Silva, I think. But, you know, th- these are two absolutely terrific teams who should be exciting people. Real Sociedad were, were brilliant in the, the, the Champions League as well. So at the moment, you have Athletic in fourth, Real Sociedad in sixth. And given how much they've put into the Champions League and their budget and resources... For them to be in six, I think is a, is a, is a 
great achievement. Um, testament to the squad and, of course, the quality of their coach, Imanol. But they're six points behind, so they could really do with going to Bilbao and winning this. Not an easy task. But I think what will keep their spirits up if they bring some food with them uh, from no. San Sebastian. <laughs> because San Sebastian has arguably got the greatest food in Spain. Really? Yeah. The pinchos there are amazing. It's, it's like their form of tapas. Tapas on bigger plates, if, if you like. You go into the bar and you just hoke it all on, on your plate. For me, the absolute high point of that is uh, squidding black rice. Not sure if it's really suitable for the players. What you do, I think, is you take it on the coach and you say, if you if you win, if you get those three points we need, you get to eat this food on the way back. That'd motivate you, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm scoring already. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, what a time to have is the this, Bastardi as well. I'm, I'm, I'm worried, though, because I've always, we've talked about food recommendations, thought of it from what I'm going to eat, not exactly, what the players are going to eat. Exactly. And if we're suggesting for the players, it's, that's a whole dangerous we'll game. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be eating it on the team bus and going, this could be you on the way back. <laughs> yeah. We'll take enough. Just chicken and rice is always the answer for the players. You, <laughs> you, you, you definitely got the memo, though, in terms of food. Uh, for us, what, 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 what are we eating? What are we eating? Well, do you know, it's funny because um, I was going to say tortellini and brodo because it's cold at the moment and I want my favourite warming. Tortellini and brodo is... is Tortellini in broth. It's it's a um, an Emir Romagna. Well, it's all over Italy, but it's very popular in Emir Romagna. And I was going to suggest a team featuring Sass- a game featuring Sassuolo. So for me, that's always little meat parcels in nicely cooked pasta and broth is always a nice way to eat on a cold winter night. But um, for the game, because a lot of people are going to see that it's Milan Roma on Sunday night, and and that's a, an obvious choice, but. I don't think in good conscience I can tell people to watch Jose Mourinho games at the moment because <laughs> they have been... Bus stops. Well, yeah, they, I suppose they've been interesting sometimes what's happening, not in the game, but the games themselves have been uh, routinely dreadful. But I'm playing with fire because instead I'm going to suggest Juventus as well. Now, Juventus also have not always been very entertaining. Um, I do think they are, well, on the surface, they might look similar to all my teams trying to win games 1-0. They are... They have more going on than Roma do by a lot. but well, They're not trying it. They're doing it, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, but the reason this game is interesting is because Juventus have only lost one game this season. Uh, Juventus have only conceded 12 goals all season, have lost one game this season, and it was to Sassuolo, and they lost 4-2. So Sassuolo, who oh. also beat them last season, uh, one of those teams who, despite being 14th in the table, I think have the potential to throw spanners in the works. Domenico Berardi, who has been linked to Juventus forever, was brilliant in that game against them earlier this season so that's why I'm going for that one and uh, I was going with Tortellini and Brodo until I thought the last minute just now because I was saying about chicken and rice um, playing for Juventus this season Weston McKinney's having a, a really nice bounce back season after the disaster at Leeds um, I got to interview him recently for um, 8x8 magazine and he uh, was talking about food crimes because he uh, famously on the All or Nothing series with Juventus horrified his Juventus teammates um, by uh, um, by uh, putting well talking about putting ranch dressing on his on his pizza 
Um, but he says that all the foreigners at Juventus, he says you can't say it to the Italians, but all the foreigners love his idea of chicken, pesto and pasta together. Now in Italy, you don't put chicken and pasta together. So if you're looking for a food crime to feel at one with Weston McKinney, <laughs> there's your answer. If you want to keep it traditional, tortellini and brodo. You're thinking of chicken and rice and I'm thinking of chicken tonight. I want some chicken tonight. Uh, it's probably lost on your younger lot, but that was a TV no, no, I remember upon that. the time. <laughs> That's about it from us. Thank you for listening to On the Continent. Uh, make sure that you join us again tomorrow, though, for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 